All of God's people say, thank you, Lord. Welcome back. These concerts are not wearing you out. Thank God for that. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you grew up in a legalistic church or in a legalistic home or legalistic family. Now, in case some of you have not and don't even know what legalistic or legalism means, be patient. I'll explain it to you. But also be thankful that you don't know what it is. I'm going to tell you but from firsthand experience, but be grateful. Because legalism really messes you up. Why do you think I'm messed up the way I am? <laughs> Because legalism is an equal opportunity destroyer. Legalism takes a long time to overcome. And you find legalism everywhere. You find it in the traditional churches, and you find it in the non-denominational churches, you find legalism in the Catholic churches, in the Protestant churches, in the evangelical churches, fundamental churches. And as I've traveled the world, I found it in every country, all over the world. By now, some of you who don't know what legalism means or what's about, and you got curious, I am glad because I want to tell you what legalism is all about. Legalism, very put simply, is the elevation of any man-made rules or tradition to almost or at the same level as the Word of God. If you got that, say amen. amen. See, legalism is the keeping of man-made rule or tradition and thinking that this is what God wants. Uh, legalism is the thinking... Uh, that keeping of man-made rules or tradition is, is going to get you favor with God. Legalism, in some churches, some of you will know what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, is almost, and if not quite as important as the Word of God. For example... I, in the 70s and the 80s, worked in the Episcopal Church, particularly in California uh, in the 70s, where they made it very clear that the color of the vestments at the right season is far more important than the belief in the authority of the Scripture. And now, in some Notice I'm going to repeat that in some, because some of you are going to send me some letters. Don't do it. <laughs> in some Baptist and Presbyterian churches, they cherish their traditions, <laughs> and they follow them closely than the Word of God. So I said some. And that is why, beloved, in this short history of this church, 34 years is a short history in comparison to the history of the church. 34 years is not a long history. But in that short history of this church, we have tenaciously, tenaciously uh, 
guarded against the creeping in of any tradition, any made main rule, and, and, and making it equal to the Word of God. Nothing would come anywhere near closely to the upholding of the authority of the Word of God in this church. Why? Because I have seen, and many of you have seen, the destructive nature of legalism. Legalism is that religious spirit that says, you can go to church once a week and then live like the devil for the rest of the week. Legalism is that religious spirit that says, unless you worship a certain way or be baptized a certain way or receive communion a certain way, or do this or that a certain way, you are not a good Christian. I'll never forget. I think I was in the ninth grade. I can't remember exactly. Eighth or the ninth grade. I think it was the ninth grade. Believe it or not, I remember exactly what I was, but I, do, I think it's the ninth grade where I nearly lost the friendship of my best friend. He was my best friend. I, I nearly lost his friendship because I was arguing strongly and tenaciously that thou shall not smoke, drink, play cards, or dance is <laughs> in the Bible. And he comes from a different uh, church tradition, and he'll say, no, Michael, it's not. I said, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And, you know, I've always been vocal, so even when I was young, you know, I may be wrong, but never in doubt. <laughs> I guess, I guess I'll, I've always been like that. <laughs> why, why did I do this? Well, I grew up in a church where it was preached so often that I assumed it's in the Bible. And when I went home and I told my one of my older siblings, and he said, no, Mike, it's not in the Bible. I said, really? Why does the preacher preach it all the time? <laughs> Listen to me. The problem with legalism is the focusing on things that are not necessary for salvation. Let me repeat this. Focusing on things that are not necessary for salvation and making it so important. I'm going to show you that we, we, are, we are actually reaping the horror of that now. I'm going to show you in a minute. In fact, there's a, a story told and it's published uh, back in the early 30s when the World Baptist Women Alliance Conference was held in Berlin, Germany. It's before all the tension in, in World War II. And the German Baptist women went to the port to greet the American Baptist women delegates who were arriving for the conference. And when the German Baptist women saw the American Baptist women coming uh, from the boat into the port, and they had the hairdos and heavy makeup, they were shocked because the Baptist, German Baptist women at the time believed that makeup was a sin. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and these German Baptists were so exercised in their heart about the sin 
of the American Baptist women, they were so exercised about it, they decided to have a prayer meeting and to pray for, for, their, for their American counterparts. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they were shedding tears, and their tears were flowing into their beer mugs. And in the other room, there were the American women praying for the Germans for drinking beer until their makeup was all messed up. <laughs> well, I just want to show you how legalism can really get you messed up. I know this experientially, and I've, I've said this once before, I think I told this because it's so personal with me. My family would tell you, I seldom go to movies. I really don't. I, and, and because, you know, whatever it is, there's nothing good, really. I can actually count the number, maybe years, every now and again. I still remember, I think, one of the last movies I've seen, Shadowland or C.S. Lewis. I mean, I, I, this is years I don't go because, I don't know, there's nothing good. But, but it all began when I was about eight years old, and the preacher would lean from the pulpit, and he would say, the sin of the cinema. <laughs> the devil's dwelling place. And what would you do if Jesus returns and you are in the movies? <laughs> in the devil's house. Well, to be quite honest, you heard me talk about the 18 months of my rebellion years and the, the time of my rebellion when I would, you know, go to movies <laughs> yeah, the, in those rebellious, rebellious years, and, and I would go to the movies, and, and I, I, I've never enjoyed the movie, but I was always terrified that Jesus is going to come in the middle of the movie, <laughs> and I want to see the end. <laughs> See, the problem with legalism is it misleads you into thinking that if you avoid certain things which are not necessary for salvation, I'm going to show you the contrast in a minute. When you avoid certain things that are not necessary for salvation, not sin, not scriptural sin, not biblical sin, I'm talking about things that are not necessary for salvation, that you're a good Christian. See, that's the messing up of legalism. Listen to me. There's almost not a week goes by without hearing of a, a preacher. Now they give it a nice word, or a musician. They call he's going through deconstruction. This is just a nice word of saying he became an apostate. He turned his back on the faith. He turned her, her back on the faith. That's really what it means. It's almost a, 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 a weekly thing now. I just read last week about some famous singer. Now he's going through the deconstruction. Just say, he became an apostate. <laughs> he just turned his back on the faith. This is happening all the time. Do you know what I found out, at least in two examples, that these two people grew up in a legalistic churches. They are legalists. They were not truly born-again believers who understood that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. <laughs> 
Sadly today, the pendulum has swung way, way on the other side, has swung its way to the point of taking pride in sin. We talk about the other extreme. The pendulum has swung so far to the point of believing that sinful lifestyle will not bring about the wrath of God. Now the pendulum has swung so far that many, many a preacher are refusing to acknowledge that sin to be sin, and they explain it away as a cultural issue. They refuse to teach that only, the only cure for sin is repentance and trusting in the Christ of the cross. Beloved, listen to me. More than ever, we need to help the younger generation to realize that neither legalism nor using of the grace of God as a license to sin is the answer. The answer is to fall in love with Jesus. The answer is to try to comprehend what it costs Jesus to pay the wages of our sin on that cross. The answer is to try to comprehend the indescribable love of Christ. The answer is to begin to comprehend the debt of gratitude that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ for redeeming us. And that very gratitude is what compels us to live a life of obedience. not trying to buy God's favor on the one hand, nor cheapening the grace of God on the other. As we come today to the older son in, Matthew 15, in Luke 15, in Luke 15, in the story which often called the parodical son, and as we've been seeing, it's really more about the father it's a story about the father. Yes, of course, it's about the other two sons, about the two sons, but it's about the father. We've seen that. Now I showed you how it is about the father. It's about the two boys, but about the father. Turn with me, if you haven't already. In fact, Jonathan Yusuf has shared with me an insight this week. I've never thought about it before. He gave me a, a great insight last week, uh, and it, namely that most of us, if not all of us, uh, at some point, we have been in the place of all of the three actors in this story. Some of us have experienced the brokenness and the brokenheartedness of the Father. Many of us have been, and maybe some of us even now, are in the place of the older brother. And certainly, I dare say, all of us, all of us have been where the younger brother was. And so now I trust that you have turned to Luke 15, beginning verse 25, and that you have it open in front of you because we are going to read it together. And let me set the stage before we ask you to stand and read it. Now the younger boy, repentant, broken before his father, comes to confess, repent, turn, and the father forgives him, wash him, cleanse him, put on the robe of righteousness, the ring, and then he has a celebration. The fatted calf is prepared to celebrate his return in thankfulness to God. And right at that moment, 
the older boy who is in the field comes home. And so I'm going to read the first verse, verse 25. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God. And then you're going to read the rest of it. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. Go. Without the Holy Spirit opening our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see the incredible truth in this Word, we cannot comprehend. Help us. Help us to discover the treasures that are in these words of our Lord Jesus, so that we may grow and be like Jesus. In His name I pray. Amen. Now remember again, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and they are the super-duper There you go. <laughs> I knew you were going to get it. <laughs> they are the super-duper legalists. They're the legalists of all legalists. They kept all the rituals, but their hearts was far from God. And that is why you have to understand that when Jesus was speaking about that older brother, he was in effect saying to them, Mr. Pharisee, come over here. Stand right here. Because, Mr. Pharisee, you are that older brother. The older brother is a portrait of you. You are the one who kept all of the external rituals, but your heart is in the far country. You are the one who condemned some sins but winked at other sins. You are the one who comes across as so sanctimonious uh, but you dignified unforgiveness and bitterness and gossip and backbiting and smearing the reputation of others with whom you disagree. Listen to me. If we are truly honest with each other, with ourselves, really more important than anything else, if we are truly honest, we have to admit that most Christian legalists sympathize with the older brother. I'm not going to ask you to say amen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, we condemn the younger brother. 
I think everybody can, oh, oh, this, this rebellious boy, yes, 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 yes. But we skip that part about the older brother. This growing up, I've never heard a sermon on the older brother. Oh, on the younger brother, on the prodigals, my goodness, hundreds of sermons. Every preacher will preach on the prodigal, always. Why? Because while the older brother kept the traditions, he was gritting his teeth. Yes, that's right. Thank you. (laughs) While he took care of all the outward appearances, his heart was far from God. While he went to church, yet he was sour, mean, bitter, and had a loveless heart. No wonder Jesus hated legalism. He really, really did. Why? Because legalism gives the impression that you can be saved and accepted by God by just keeping the religious rituals. Beloved, listen to me. Legalism is Satan's theology. Legalism puts Satan in charge of any church. Uh, Let me illustrate this from the writing of the Apostle Paul. Because legalism is as old as the first church. Is as old as the first church. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of the Corinth, okay, in Corinthians. And he writes to them. Now, remember, the Corinthian church was messed up. I mean, they had so many problems, and he deals with them. He doesn't skirt. He doesn't wink at them. He, he deals with them. But he writes to them, and he called them saints. Saints? These people are saints? Yeah. But then he writes to the Galatians. But before he even finishes his greetings, he pulls the shirt off their back. (laughs) What was their sin? Legalism. Legalism. They were adding to the Word of God. Uh, They were adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were saying, yes, Jesus plus circumcision plus this plus that plus the other thing. (laughs) Listen to me. The older brothers legalistic heart is clearly manifested in the fact that he could not forgive his repentant brother. Beloved, this is important. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Don't miss this. If you miss it, you miss something very important. Don't miss it. If you want to be like your heavenly daddy, you have to forgive like your heavenly daddy. How does your heavenly daddy forgives? We saw in the last message. Do not hold sin against the confessing repentant sinner. Don't hold it against them. When we refuse to forgive a repentant person, our relationship with our heavenly father gets strained. And you see it clearly in this story. You can see it so clearly. Hear me right, please. For a Christian believer, forgiving a repentant, confessing a repentant person is not an option. It's not an option. Because forgiveness is the key that unlocks the handcuffs of hatred and bitterness and envy. Because forgiveness opens the closed door of unanswered prayers. Because forgiveness lines up your heart with the heart of your heavenly Father. 
Look at the older brother's indignation turned into rage when he heard that his father has done this, turned into rage. Now, you see, you have to understand, you have to understand the Pharisees, particularly that group, not, not all Jewish people, but that group, the Pharisees, they never believed that their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their God, the God of Moses and Joshua and Elijah, would actually welcome a repentant Gentile. They, they wouldn't believe that. It's in the Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It's repeated over and over and over again. It's there, clearly. But they didn't, didn't buy into it. It didn't matter. Why? Because they made a box. They made a box, and that box called the Talmud. That Talmud was the traditions was the extra-biblical material, not the, not, 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 the, not the Torah, not the Old Testament. The Talmud was written by rabbis and to interpretations and their ideas and their concepts. No, they just made that box called the Talmud, and they put God right into it. And it didn't fit with the way they put God in that box. <laughs> and we see that clearly when their anger turned into rage on the day we call Good Friday, when they screamed, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Here's another thing. It's so important. It's so important because it's so dear to the heart of Jesus. It's so dear to the heart of Jesus. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. That's why I'm always pleading with you. Always interpret the Scripture by the Scripture. Always look at the text in its context, not only in its biblical context, but it's also historical context and its cultural context, because that will give you a real understanding of the Scripture. Always look at the cultural context of the day. Another thing that is so important, so important... In the culture of the day, even to this day in the Middle East, but, but, but certainly in that day, the culture would have dictated, read it in the Old Testament, the culture would have dictated that the older brother is the one who would have presided over the family celebrations, all family celebrations. The older brother is the chief host of all family banquets. The older brother... It's, that's, that's the older son's duty, is to welcome the guest regardless of his personality. Now, whether he's an extrovert or introvert, it made no difference. That, that, they didn't take those things into account like we do now. <laughs> whether he liked it or not, it made no difference. Whether he enjoyed doing that or not, they didn't think about these things. It's part of what he's called to do. It's part of, it goes with the territory. It goes with the, uh, with the birth uh, uh, order. It's part of what he does. It's think with me, please. Just think with me. The older son not only lets his father down by refusing to exercise his responsibility, he actually makes a scene in front of the family home. First, he insults his father by not fulfilling his duty. Then he actually creates 
an open rupture of his relationship with his father. See, remember, God chose Israel to be a light to the nations. God chose Israel to be what? Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. I always say the gospel, the gospel is in Genesis 12. Did you know that? It's in Genesis 12. God said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. How is that going to happen? The people are going to come to know the God of Abraham and are going to be blessed. (laughs) That's the gospel. That's the beginning. That's how we know the gospel. And throughout the Old Testament, prophet after prophet, light to the nations, light to the nations, light to the nations. That's what they were called to do. Please hear me right on this one. In the eyes of the father, the older boy's rebellion was just as serious, if not more serious, as the rebellion of the younger son. Are you with me? Someone would say, oh, Michael, Michael, where did you get that? Where did you get that? I'm glad you challenged me. I I always love for you to challenge me. Don't don't ever hesitate. I want to show you. Verse 28. (laughs) Verse 28. The father had to leave the house. He had to leave the guests. Do you know how humiliating that is? He had to leave his guests and go out and entreat his older son. And my beloved friends, listen to me. That was never, 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 never done in that culture. The father never goes out to entreat the son. The son is the one who entreats the father. The father never pleads with the son. The son pleads with the father. The father never humbles himself before the son. It's the other way around. The son is the one who should humble himself before the father. What's happening here? What's happening? In one day, in one day, think with me. Please think with me. One single day, the father humbles himself before both sons. He humbles himself before the younger son when he runs. As I told you, it's never done for a dignified man to run. And on the same day, the father humbles himself before the older boy when he came out to entreat his older son. What does it mean? What does it mean? Listen to me, please. Listen to me. It means that God in Christ humbled himself for both Jews and Gentiles. The older boy represents the Jews, and the younger represents the Gentiles. The older boy is part of the old covenant, And the rebellious Gentile, the younger son, who's in the far country, far from God. But listen carefully, please, for you and for me, for us, for all of you watching around the world, this means that God in Christ 
did the unthinkable, that God in Christ did the impossible, that God in Christ did the most unexpected, that God in Christ did the extraordinary, that God in Christ did what no one could fathom. He humbled himself to death, even death upon the cross, for Jews and for Gentiles. And that is why today both my Jewish friends and my Muslim friends find this part of the Christian faith very difficult to accept, very difficult to accept. How can God Almighty, the God, the all-powerful God, become man and die on a cross? And so they reject the Christ of the cross. Here Jesus was making the point very clear. It's so clear you can't miss it. You can't miss it. For the Jew who stayed home in the Old Covenant the Old Testament. And for the Gentiles who took all of God's blessings and ignored Him and dismissed Him, for both of them, Christ died. Christ died. Irrespective of the nature of their rebellion, whether their rebellion is an outward rebellion or an inward rebellion, whether their rebellion is false religiosity or rejection altogether. Christ died for their sins, regardless of the nature of their sin. Beloved, 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 that is why salvation is found in no one except Jesus the Christ. There is no name under heaven by which men and women, boys and girls, would be saved other than the name of Jesus. And that's precisely why Jesus, here in Luke 15, leaves, he leaves the ending of the story up in the air, as it were. He doesn't tell the end of the story. He leaves it hanging in the air. You notice that? I know many of you have. He leaves the end of the story hanging in the air. Why? Because the grand finale of this story, <laughs> I'm getting ready to shout, <laughs> is found in the open arms that were stretched on the cross, and they were stretched in order that He might welcome repentant sinners. <laughs> repentant sinners from every race, from every nation, from every background, from every age, from every stage, from every form of sin. Because the Bible said breaking one sin, breaking one commandment, breaking all of them. You see, we, we grade sin. Well, this is a big sin, murder. This is a small sin, white lie. God doesn't grade them. To God, sin is sin. Sin is sin. 
There is no big sin, small sin, great sin, little sin. And that's why the Bible said, we all, can you say that with me? We all. How many of us? All. Have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if you're willing to confess with your mouth, repent from your heart, ask for His forgiveness, you receive that forgiveness. That's His promise. That's His promise. The love of the Father for both sons is so clearly indicated here. Our Heavenly Father loves all. You see, in those days, in ancient times, Jews and Gentiles have represented all of humanity. To them, humanity was divided onto only two segments, Jews and then Gentiles, everybody. That's humanity for them. Both boys represented all of humanity. So the question is, is anybody here like the older brother? Standing on the way from others coming to repentance and faith, like the older brother, keeping the appearance and the facade and never joyfully falling in love with Jesus, sharing Him with others. Like the older son, seeing people dying every day going to hell, and he said, they're not my problem. I know it's not easy. I know that. Let's do what's not easy. Let's go out and welcome all rebellious younger brothers and religious older brothers. Start with us repenting of our own religiosity and falling in love with Jesus all over again. I'm going to do the same thing I did last Sunday, and that's I'm going to ask the pastoral team to come up in the front as we sing the second song, and I'm going to ask them to be right here. So many of you came and prayed with them. Whatever's on your heart, they will be here to pray with you, minister to you in any way. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pray. Father, Your Word is so powerful. Your Word is so magnificent. And for 56 years, Your Word has been feeding me, and I never get enough. And I thank You that I'll never get enough. I pray, Lord God, that You continuously feed our spirits with your word, that we continuously grow to the full stature of Christ. Father, I pray that if there's anything in me, anything in me like the older brother, I ask you to remove it now, that I might totally consecrate myself to you without any hesitation. For Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said amen. amen. Thank you, team.